The topic I was given, because I looked back in my sheet to make sure I had this right, but the, the gospel is not the social gospel, and I just added, or social justice. And so that's the task I've actually been assigned uh, today. So it's not so much we're going to look at a verse, an exegete the verse, but we're going to take the overall topic of that uh, as we do. But as we begin our time, uh, I want to ask you a question that was posed by a godly man over 200 years ago, and that, main, that man was John Wesley. And he asked this, does God give the church the possibility of transforming social orders? And I should click that. I think that's the next one. Is that point it there? There we go. Um, does God give the church the possibility of transforming uh, social orders of our culture or not? So it's, a, it's a question to consider. Uh, and I, I would like to submit to you uh, a better question or two better questions. What is the gospel, and what is the mission of the church? And so uh, before we answer Wesley's question, before we answer what is the gospel uh, or in the mission of the church, uh, I want to give you a couple of definitions. And this is uh, taken right out of, uh, if you will, from the horse's mouth. Sorry, that was John Wesley. I didn't do that right. I forgot that I did one of those fancy animation things. And um, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, you can teach an old dog new tricks, but they don't learn quite as fast. And so with that, the social gospel, the idea that Christian ethics ought to be applied to social and economic problems, is so that Jesus came to save systems, not just individuals. Okay, that in its most rank form is what it is. Uh, Shaler Matthews said this, uh, it's the application of the teaching of Jesus and the total message of Christian salvation to society, the economic life and social institutions, as well as the individual. Okay, so it, it's a much much more than people being saved. It is in a sense, if you will, to save society and all the institutions that go with it. Um, social justice isn't just something that has happened here in the last decade or two. Uh, it actually goes back several centuries. And back in 1793, William Goodwins wrote the inquiry concerning political justice, and he states, Every individual in society is entitled to share in the wealth produced by society. Kind of sounds like Bernie Sanders, doesn't he? A little bit, right? Um, Thus the rich giving of wealth to help the poor is not a matter of charity, but one of justice. Okay? So if you have great wealth and you don't share it, you don't give it, uh, you are not being just. Uh, because even going back to social gospel as well, you, because of what you produce, you, you didn't do that by yourself. And so you owe it to give it to everyone else. And so coupled with that, that, in essence, will save mankind. And so Wesley's question, that, that's all I'm going to really address on this aspect. But Wesley's question, I think it's the wrong question. Or to put it more clearly, it's framed the wrong way. It was framed in light of the needs of England uh, in the 18th century. Um, those of you who have already gone through church history class, we covered some of that last spring. When, when Wesley and his brother Charles started the Holy Club at Oxford, you have to understand, they were not saved. They were good Church of England men whose father was an Anglican priest. They were one, two of 17 children. Uh, true story, he's plucked out of the fire, if you will, as the home burnt down. Um, but in that case, England in the 1740s and earlier and even afterwards was notorious. The joke was that every second shot in 
London was a gin shot. And by gin, we mean the alcohol version of it, right? Not the game. And with it, there was massively number of poor people. Prisons were in dis despicable conditions. In fact, if you were thrown in, often your family would go. There were women and children in prison with, with their husbands or thrown in because they couldn't pay their debts. And so in the midst of all this, they saw the need to minister to people. And they did quite effectively. Uh, they're also known for their strict study habits, hence the term Methodism, their meth methodical study of the Bible, and are reaching out to the less fortunate. So even before he became a believer, John Wesley was involved with this. He eventually is going to take a trip to America, setting sail from England to the state of Georgia to be a missionary to the native population there, the, the native people. And on the way over, he's on a ship with a group of Moravians who in the midst of a storm are praying and singing praises to God and Wesley feared for his life. And it is, it is written about him that he said, um, you know, I, I've gone to Georgia to save souls, but oh, who will save mine? It wasn't until he returned to England, happened by a meeting at Aldersgate, that he heard a man reading the preface of Luther's commentary to the Romans. If you haven't read it, you should. And in reading it, he heard for the first time that nugget of the gospel that the Holy Spirit used to change his life. I tell you that whole story to tell you this. He started this process of helping his hand to man, as Jeff Moore used to like to sing, heart to God, hand to man, okay, in the Salvation Army. Started that before he was even saved. And when he got saved, he continued to do that good work amongst his preaching as well. And so I think that's one of the salient facts that sometimes is overlooked. What he, that question is asked, and people will point to it at times. Are we here to change the structures of society, in essence? And I would suggest to you, we are not. We are not. I would also say this, it really isn't an either or, it's a both and. It isn't either the gospel or helping, it's both. But make no bones about it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 27 through 30, we preach Christ and him crucified. That is our message. As Danny alluded to, Deontay preaching from 1 Corinthians 15. Here's the gospel. Here's the gospel right here. That's what it's all about. And so you have no social gospel. You have no social justice gospel unless the gospel is preached first and overrides all of it or overshadows all of it. Because you can have all the justice this side of glory that you want in the society. And by the way, we have more than our share in this country compared to the rest of the world, correct? But you could still go to hell. You could feed all the poor. And apart from Christ, they will still go to hell. You could take all the wealth of the world and equal it out, parcel out to everybody. Apart from Christ, they're going to go to hell with gold and silver in their hand. Because that's not the issue. The issue is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And from there, we see with new eyes of how to respond to our fellow man and woman, right? That's, that's what we see. And so what is, what is the gospel? In, uh, or what is the mission? Uh, yeah, what is the gospel? There we go. I see two slides back there, and it's like, wow, all right. All right, what is the gospel? Well, you already know. Here are several passages that you're all familiar with. Uh, J.A. Packer um, simply said this in his little book, Evangelism of Sovereignty and God. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins, was raised from the dead, and offers himself as your Savior and Lord. If you want to put it down in a sentence, that's basically it. But you realize as you share that with people, for most of them you will have to unpack what you mean with these words. Right? Who is this Jesus? We, we say the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for sins. Helping them understand what that is. And why? Because we had a need. We had a, a debt we couldn't pay. So he paid that debt, right? So that's part of it. But again, there's no other gospel. Galatians 1, 8 through 10. Paul makes it very clear. There is no other gospel. There, there's only one. And if anyone comes to you and preaches a gospel contrary to this, let him be accursed. Okay? That's not saying we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. There's a difference between that and those who come and say, you must do this first, or you must do this. Okay? Historically, the church has cared for their own. They've rescued children. They've helped the poor and the widows. They've buried the dead. They accepted all into their church, male or female, Greek or Jew, slave or free, regardless of color. Didn't matter. If you knew Jesus, you were part of the family of God. And I'm not saying the church has been perfect or we couldn't do more. But keep in mind, culture dictates and definitions are not our authority. And it's certainly not our Lord. Our authority is the word of God. That's our authority. Not any of these other aspects. It is all of that. And so with that, what is our mission? And in their great book, what is the mission of the church? Uh, DeYoung and uh, Gilbert say this. This is really what it is. Right? There's the mission. God sending his son, and by extension, sending us to tell the world about that son and what God has done. That's his mission. Right? Not saying there aren't other components, but that is the central focus and part of it. Right, right here. Right? Okay. Here's our mandate. Again, from Gilbert and DeYoung, I added the blue part because I think that should be in there. Um, why? Because it's Matthew 28, right? I, I find it odd. People will quote Matthew 28, and they kind of leave the baptism part out. I guess that maybe it's just the Baptist in me, but I think it's rather apparent. How do you make disciples? Identify them through baptism and instruct them in all that he's taught us. There's your mission if you choose to accept it. Right? And just know if you get in trouble, the agency will disavow any information or, you know, that they know you. Right? 
No, this is a mission we accept. And so again, a mission or ministry does not, does not have this as their focus or maintain it as its focus is not a biblical mission or ministry. And I don't care if they have believers in charge of it. That has to be an ethos. That has to be at the center of what we do. Why, why are you helping us? Because I love Jesus. And his command to me is love him with my entire being and love my neighbor as myself. Not an either or. Right? Now, you may not, I understand, you may not get to do that right out of the box. Can't stand her. I got this little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws. God loves you and offers you a wonderful plan for your life. You may not get to do that. I, I totally get that. But, but you understand where I'm coming from? Behind all the endeavor, here's the focus. Because when it's not the focus, it's very easy to lose it. And we don't have time today to name all the ministries that have done that over the years, who continue to falter and falter and falter and falter because they not kept the main thing the main thing. And that is our mission and our mandate, right? Um, and so while you're going from Bozeman to the uttermost parts of the earth, whether you go local and global, okay, offer a cold cup of water. Assist with clothing, housing, and orphans, and widows, and the unborn, whatever it might be. But do it in the name of Jesus. So they know that that's what motivates you. That's your root, root level. That, that is who you are, a Jesus follower and a disciple of him. So they know that it's not the clothing. It's not the water. It's not the money. It's Jesus. Three, three books uh, I would encourage you <clears throat> to be aware of. And they, as they would say, these are golden oldies. <clears throat> uh, the one by Elvin Schmidt, and you'll appreciate that, those of you who are from a Lutheran background like some of us are. I think he was a Missouri Synod Lutheran pastor. And he wrote this book some years ago. And basically, Kennedy and Newcomb's books are kind of an offshoot of, the, of that one. But how Christianity changed the world, Right? And it didn't change it because suddenly they got a Christian emperor, right? Church existed over 200 years before a Christian emperor ever came along. How did they change it? But changed lives. Changed lives and ministering the grace of Christ to other people. Uh, D. James Kennedy and Jerry Newcomb in their book, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? Or What If the Bible Had Never Been Written? Well worth your time. Well worth your time as it lay, lays out the impact Christianity has on a society when men and women's hearts are truly born again. Not we fix society and we fix the man. We get the man right with God, and men and women who are right with God begin to change toward others at home, in their community, at work, in their state, and in their country. We start with the heart and go from there. That's the idea. And those books lay that out. You're always going to have people tell you what Christians ought to be doing. And if you don't agree and don't join in with them, they'll chide you. They're real against you. They'll accuse you of lacking compassion. Okay? They will accuse you of being part of the problem instead of part of the solution. They might call you bigoted and racist and homophobic and fill in all the other pejorative terms. 
that you hear on our nightly news or read in the paper or here on the campus. Thankfully not here, but the other campus in town. And not just once, not just now and then. They set the agenda, they set the course, and then want to conform you to it. And I'm saying you set the course towards Jesus Christ. You set the agenda. And remember your history. Acts 6, there were widows who were being overlooked in the daily distribution of bread in the church. Church addressed their problems. Acts 11, as the other churches heard of the need in Jerusalem, they took a collection to help feed the poor. And by extension, as was the history of the church, those who were poor helped the other poor also. We have that in 1 Timothy 5.17, where there's a row of widows. Again, mentioned briefly the early church. Go back and read it, what the church did. It was a scandal. It was a scandal to the Romans that these, in their term, godless Galileans, are godless because they believed in one God and not the pantheon, because they even help our people. Okay. But why did they do it? A motivation for the glory of the cross. That was her motivation. And so uh, what can I recommend in our closing time here to you? Well, here's some errors and recommendations. You have to sort through what, what they are, okay? <laughs> I'm going to read this because it's easier to read up here than on my own handwriting. You can't legislate or coerce your way into justice and utopia. I have news for you. Have we been here how many thousands of years? Well, take take a conservative Christian, 8,500 years, roughly, 6,500 years. Has that happened yet? If we take evolution's view, how long have we been here? Oh, a lot, a lot more. Has that, has that happened? Has that occurred? Is it going to occur? No. Why? Because we're sinners, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you, know, you know the drill, okay? Right? But so, somehow, it's because, well, our generation, we're the ones who can do it. Yeah, right. Okay. Right. Notice the lack of a literal hermen historical and grammatical hermeneutic in much of the social gospel. They, they will give you their 12 basic verses. I didn't bring the handout. I'll, I'll make some and leave them in the office and you can take them. There are more, but those are the 12 key ones. And many of them come from the Old Testament. Great. We're not an agrarian society in a theocratic kingdom. Less than pre 3% of our population actually is involved in agricultural endeavors in this country. You can go back 100 years, 40%, 50%. It's a minuscule amount. We are not an agrarian society anymore, right? Israel was. And oh, by the way, it was a theocratic kingdom. We are not. Anybody just the historical significance of that, the text? Our property has not been assigned to us by God. I mean, if it was... No offense, there's a, there's a lovely ranch over in the Shields Valley that would be mine, or the one down here that Teddy Turner owns called the Flying D. If you've ever gone up through up to uh, uh, Spanish Peak, you know, access, just if you could see the rest of the ranch, God, if God was going to give me some, I think he'd give me that. But he hasn't. We're, we're not based on fixed price or tribal allotment. I mean, you, you, I, I'm preaching to the choir here, but do you know how many people, even in churches, are ignorant of this very fact. They have a bad hermeneutic. Right? Ours, ultimately, Jesus is our jubilee. The year of jubilee, while well, we give the land back. We know. It's a picture of Jesus. 
which, by the way, the Israelites didn't even do. Correct? It's one reason why they went into captivity. Unless you're a post-millennialist, and, and no offense to anybody in here who is, we don't usher in the kingdom. Right? We don't. Been trying for a while. By, by the way, Jonathan Edwards was a post-millennialist and predicted that the year 2000 would have been, been the era. It's just a little late, even though I love him to pieces. Jesus dealt with injustice at the cross. He dealt with injustice at the cross. I know that on a day-to-day basis, if police pull somebody over because of the color of their skin or their sex, he even died for that, but it's not so apparent, right? I, I, I totally get that. But in the end, when you look at the evil in our world, understand God did do something about it, and it's called the cross. We're saying about today. He's in that process of fulfilling Psalm 2, making his enemies his footstool. If he came back today to do justice, do you realize how many billions of people would spend eternity apart from God? When you pray, if you do pray, Maranatha, do you understand what you're asking for? For him to come back and establish justice once and for all. That's part of it. Where would that leave the better part of our world at that moment? Make no mistake, in the midst of your suffering, your pain, and that of friends and family and other people you see around the world, he is dealing with injustice. He will balance the scale. Think of those in Revelation, under the throne, the martyrs. How long, O Lord? And he says, a little while. A little while longer. But we know we win in the end, right? Because of Jesus. Notice this too. The kingdom was offered to Israel, not the church. They offered it to her. They rejected him. You know that from Matthew 12, 13. Yeah, right? So it isn't about establishing or building a kingdom or transforming democracies, republics, which we are. Well, we have been. Dictatorships in their Christ's kingdom. In a fallen world, justice is not an equality of outcome. It is equal treatment under a fair law. Okay? Right? That's what it really is. If you want to go back textbooks constitutionally, this is what it is. Equal treatment under a fair law. When you're not treated fair the same way others are under the same law, that's inequality of justice. Right? And even when a government does it, Jesus is still going to correct it someday, right? Remember when the book was written? Who was in power? Caesar. Caesar. And some not very good Caesars, you might add, correct? So don't, don't overlook that salient fact on that. What else? Next, Matthew 26. This is one of the passages that, that often gets cited. Well, yeah, see, the disciples got upset because they wasted that ointment on Jesus. Remember what Jesus said to him? You will have the poor with you always. No, that's not an excuse. Okay, just, just for the record, that is not an excuse not to help people. But it helps keep you from freaking out when you think, I'm doing all this, it's just not enough, it's just not enough. It's like, yeah, it's not enough. Why? Because Jesus hasn't come back. Okay, okay, just... Deep breath, right? Are you being faithful? Yes. Are you being obedient? Yes. Are you doing your best? Yes. Okay. You, you know who's happy? Jesus. 
I don't, I don't care if your next door neighbor's not happy. I, I don't care if a political candidate's not happy. As long as Jesus is glorified and he's happy with you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Heck with society. Remember the poor in scripture, though, by the way, don't miss this. This is in the context also, is a reference to the pious poor. Remember who James is talking to. James 1, uh, 2, and 5, or James 1, 3, and 5 are some of the favorite passages. The rich in the church or an employer to treat their people well, not play favorites. Pay what is owed, what is necessary. If you hire two people, they do the exact same job, pay them. Pay them the same. I don't care if they're purple. I don't care if one's six foot, one's three foot, male, female. Who cares? They do the job, pay them. You know what? Okay. I come from Minnesota, DFL, just to tell you, okay, blue, kind of make come in a purple state, right? I grew up in a union home. I was a union member. So I'm for workers. I, I tell businesses all the time, you, you know how you can get rid of unions? Treat your people the way you want to be treated. Oh, that sounds like scripture, Matthew 7, 12. Right? right? This came home to me, a friend of mine's family, country club liberal Republican family. My, my father, some of you know, is an iron worker, or was. In some of the, the buildings in Minneapolis, some of the large buildings, he's worked on. He worked on the locks. He worked on the, the dome. He worked on the old Met Stadium. I go on and on and on in places around the United States where my dad worked. Often he was up in the air. We got a picture of him. It's in my office. You don't want to come see it. I'll show it to you. He's 200 feet in the air pulling his cables so he can sit down and weld. In the winter, no less. Okay. Uh, making $18 an hour. My friend, the country club Republican, you know, made, made the comment. He says, you couldn't pay me enough to do that. But he would begrudge the fact that my father was willing to go on strike to make sure that he got a fair wage for what he did. Okay. Guy said, you can't pay me enough, but your dad's not worth $18. See? That's kind of the problem there, right? So take care of your people. Take care of your people. Right, in the midst of that, that's all I'm going to say to you about that. But also remember, those who don't work, don't eat, Paul said. And again, he's writing to the church. Right? Okay. It's not a zero-sum game in life. I mean, you, you don't understand. The way you listen to some politicians and others, even in Christian circles, talk about, because someone made $50,000, somebody else lost $50,000. It, it, beloved, it doesn't work that way. If I drained your bank, bank account of $50,000, okay, that might be different. Or we uh, did the, the shell game, and I won. Or Reed and I bet on the game, and I took his money, but he would have taken mine last week, right? Okay. I mean, you, you, you get what I'm saying. Where, where does wealth come from in the first place? Who owns the cattle on the hill, who, and who owns the hill? God. God. Um, I'm not trying to be snarky when I want to ask them these questions up here, but uh, when you think about it, uh, general rule, it's not the poor get poor because somebody who's rich got richer. You, you know about compound interest, correct? You start your own business, you create a project, those of you who are kind of computer geeks and you like that thing and you come up with an app and you sell it for 99 cents and suddenly one million people hit it, you kind of figure out kind of what you, what, what you just became, right? And guess what? They want to tax tax you 70%, right? 
Well, Dylan, you didn't earn that. You owe it to your parents because they raised you. And your brothers and sisters. You know, okay. You, 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 you get my point. You have $50,000 and you invested at 5%. Or if you have $50 invested at 5%, who do you think is going to make more money? I mean, just common sense. Think this through. But remember, what you earn, what you do, is a gift from whom? God. It's a gift from God. Right? Um, how much is enough? You're going to leave that between the Lord and whoever else. Remember, Someone that becomes a millionaire today because they worked hard, they saved, they invented something, they started a company, and they sold it doesn't mean they did it on the backs of people who had less. Doesn't always mean that. In fact, most of the time it doesn't mean that. That's just life, right? And may I add, within our country, those who we declare because the federal government has set the guidelines of what is poor. Even our poor are wealthier than two-thirds of the world. Seriously. Some of the things people buy, I, I worked with guys who bought cars or trucks. Their wife had a new car. They had a new truck. And guess what? They could not miss a day of work because they, they would miss their payment. Does that, does that sound like wisdom to you? And so they're in a bad place because they did something stupid. That's my fault, your fault. I don't think so. Think through this biblically. There are some people who, through no fault of their own, have been taken advantage of. And there are those who, no matter how hard they try, they don't have your skill level or someone else's skill level or that opportunity. I, I, I get that. But what we're hearing from the eastern part of our country makes no sense. Get involved. Zoe care. Holistic missions. By, by the helping people help themselves. Like our partners, Tim and Emily Tanner in Tanzania. Training national church pastors to be church planters by showing them how to farm holistically so they can go into an area where the soil is horrible and begin to produce a crop that they can feed themselves, have some leftover in order to pay their student fees. Oh, by the way, go into a Muslim area, using that as a means to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? That's a good thing. Mentoring kids, visiting shut-ins. And if you don't know any shut-ins, we got a few. I'll find them for you. Be wise in your involvement. We're all stewards of time, and by talents, I mean like New Testament talent, money, okay? And treasure. Oh, I'm sorry, no, talents as in your abilities, not the New Testament. So three things. How, how do you involve yourself? What ministries? What, where do you spend your money? Where do you invest it? Be wise with that. Lastly, remember, as God may call you to a particular country, region, people, he calls people to different things. You want to rescue people out of sex trafficking. God bless you, okay? But somebody else wants to take the gospel... Translate this book into another culture so people can hear about the life-changing message of Jesus. There's nothing wrong with what they're doing. There's nothing wrong with what you're doing if you're doing it for the Lord. Okay? It's, it's not a, this is more holy than this. How's God called you? Balance that out. Because you've been granted by the grace of God the opportunity to vote in this country, let your voice be heard by all means. Vote. Okay? Just, just do me a favor. Do the church a favor. Don't baptize a donkey. That's Democrats, okay, for those of you who might miss that, right? An elephant, Republicans, or some kind of a cross between them. Don't baptize in the church. I'm glad if you're conservative. I'm glad if you lean a little more the other way. 
Have that between you and the Lord. But vote. Be involved. But that is not a that is not preaching the gospel of the kingdom. You get the right man or woman in the White House does not guarantee this is going to be a Christian nation, right? 200 plus years of our history should tell you that. And don't do for others what they ought to do and can do for themselves. Give them a hand up, not a handout. Don't create, don't create dependency. That's true here in this country as it is around the world, right? It's the old adage, teach, give a man a fish, he eats, Right? He's for a day. Teach him how to fish. Right? He never goes home. No, that's not what it is. He'll eat. <laughs> but you get the point. You, you know all the adages. Right? But at the end of the day, beloved, the gospel is that a loving God looked down at a sinful world. He said, I will send my son. And they're going to misuse him. They're going to murder him. But I'm going to raise him from the dead. And you will go and preach salvation. You will go and preach that those who, in their shame, in their guilt, in their fear, can come to know this holy, righteous God. And as you do it, live his life out before them. So they can see it's real. And so somebody will be hungry. Feed them. Someone may need hospitality. House them. Someone may need to be rescued. Rescue them. You may need to be there to help walk a woman through a crisis pregnancy. But through all of it, at the heart of it, is the heart of Jesus Christ. I'll leave you with this. Leviticus 19.18 says, Love the Lord God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. At the end of the day, that's it. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 12, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. John Wesley said it this way, in a different way. So you're speaking to a group of people. Stories told the farmer was thinking, I don't want to listen to this itinerant preacher. But as he preached on wealth, Wesley is, is quoted as saying, I have three principles, points today. First, earn all you can. The farmer picked up at that. Whoa, I like this. My second point is, save all you can. He said, now he's preaching. Now he's getting, he's getting after it. And then Wesley, in the opinion of this farmer, ruined a perfectly good servant by saying, and give all you can. That's what it is. At his death, other than a few articles of clothing, and a few pieces of furniture, and some books. John Wesley had given his money away. That's how he lived his life. God called him to that. God may call you to something else. He may call you to produce a Fortune 500 company that makes so much wealth that you set it aside in a foundation that actually spends its money, by the way, and you give it to ministries of classmates here who are helping men and women around the world come to know Jesus, come to feed the family, how to rescue them out of a place, how to help an orphanage, how to find a home for a child, how to help a woman in a crisis pregnancy because you invested wisely what the Lord gave you. Understand what I'm saying? Okay. But that is not the gospel. It's living out the gospel. 
The gospel is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And as a saved man and woman, live it out for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and what do we have that we have not received? Anything we have, our parents, our schooling, our books, our clothes, our cars, our food, this country, whatever we have, you have mercifully, graciously, overabundantly given it all to us. And as we look at what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, help us be a cheerful giver of our time, our talent, or our abilities, and our treasure. Whatever we have, if it's the widow's mites or if it's billions of dollars, may we give it to you, not because the world tells us to, not because some political party says to, but because we love you and we want others to love you and we want to show our love of you and them by helping. To that end, may you prosper what we do on your behalf for your glory, for the fame of your glory and the greatness of Christ. And for your church, we pray in his name. Amen.